Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm so excited to be talking about the fantastic Broadway musical Here Lies Love with cast members Ariel Jacobs and Jose Lana. And Ariel, starting with you, I was really interested in the way in which you've approached this role in playing Imelda, because it sounds like the window into figuring out your portrayal was not to try and do an exact carbon copy of her, but to really look at the way that she's been perceived over time, because in the show you're playing her over the course of 40 years, and there were a lot of different perceptions at different stages and so how did the idea of looking outside and and the Filipino people's representation and perception of her and outside lenses really inform the way that you approached finding your portrayal and capture of this character? Yeah exactly um that very great question so the the way that the audience really sees Imelda in our show changes throughout the show and I, in my research of her, I recognized that over the course of the decades that we go through in this show, her perception of herself changed so much and getting to tap into the, the grandiose place that she gets to like halfway through the show and then towards the end, um, it, I don't know because I can't I'm not inside of her right I don't know exactly how she thinks uh all I can do is tap into what I think uh gets me to a place where she was seen a certain way and and um affected people a certain way which is more important in the story that we're telling which is the experience of being charmed by Imelda and Ferdinand and rooting for these people and then feeling betrayed by them. So I wanted to make sure that I was giving them that experience. And also I was only able to create Imelda from what I believe was different pain points throughout her life that might have gotten her to a place of making these decisions that she did that hurt so many people. And I think what, if I had done an exact recreation or an exact impression of Imelda, I don't know that the story would have been as strong as it is now. I, I love that answer. And and Jose, for you, it's mm. such a unique experience in reviving this role because you also played Marcos in the public theater 10 years ago. Um, right. And I know that throughout this entire process, the creative team have been really fantastic in putting together so many research materials for everybody on the cast and everybody on the creative side. Um, and I was interested in what that kind of research and re-preparation process looked like for you in stepping back into a role, um, you know, but also looking at the evolution of what the show has become and and how it kind of reshaped your relationship with this character and how you wanted to play him this time around. Absolutely. I think I, I, I claim uh, a huge benefit. I think um, uh, at first, that on the, on the surface, it was frustrating that it took 10 years for the show to go from off-Broadway to Broadway, you know, and all of us were, you know, were, <clears throat> there was a lot of stops and starts. But I think um, particularly during rehearsal, I was experiencing um, when I was coming back into the role, um, I feel like the 10 years has only strengthened my ability to play him. I'm actually, um, I'm a better, I'm a closer age to him when he was elected president than I was 10 years ago. Um, and uh, the, the world of politics that has happened in the 10 years since we did the show has only strengthened my resolve that the story, the story needs to be told. 
Um, and you know, from a, I, I'm really leaning into what this this show is about in the creative company, and I know that other actors are going to be thinking about are going to be hearing this. I there's a part of me that the, these past ten years in the work that I've done since we did the show ten years ago, I, I, I played the king and the king and I for for three years uh, on and off. Um, I, I I entered my forties and became a lot more kind of um, secure. With who I am um, as a person, and, and I say this beyond the acting world and, and in my life, uh, I got married. My husband and I've been together for eighteen years. You know, like I, I'm, I've settled into a little bit of a, a stronger idea of who I am um, as a person um, that has only strengthened my work. And I think uh, if I could take a time capsule back <clears throat> to 2013 when we did the public product, theater production, um, I, I think I had a, di a very different Marcos in that production. Um, uh, in terms of, he, I think his energy was younger, and I think his energy was more of a of a need to please energy. And um, I don't have an ounce of that. I think in my in this production now, I think um, which I think is better for the part. I think um, I've had friends who see who saw the show ten years ago, and my husband who saw the show ten years ago, um, and they've noticed that I think I, I I'm much more secure in who he is, and because I've had time to sit in this role and and lean into my age in a way that um, I'm, I'm able to with, with being older, so. That's really wonderful. And for both of you, one of the things that's so striking about the show is the way that the tone of it kind of carries you on this very unique journey because you come in and there's incredible exuberance in the room with all of the disco music and the musical numbers and the choreography and the movement throughout the theater. And then at the same time, there's so much in terms of the history and moments of solemnness that come through underneath all of that. And I was interested in, for both of you, just the journey of really finding the tone of your performances and these characters and the delivery for a show that on the surface is exuberant but the undercurrent of it is giving the audience so many other things at the same time. Um, I'll, I'll go first. I, I think I've got the easier job, in my honest opinion, between me and, and my beautiful leading lady. Um, she does a lot of the heavy lifting in the show. Um, I, my, my biggest challenge as an actor, which I think is what I've found strength in this part, is my stillness. And in that, in a room of of crazy kinetic energy, Marcos tends to be the one that's the most still and the most in the lower register of his voice. And I found power in that, you know, and, and uh, I, I remember thinking to an, an article that um, an interview that Meryl Streep gave <laughs> about Devil Wears Prada and how she created this very low in her register, quiet voice because she was the most powerful person in the room. Because when you speak quietly, people pay attention and lean in to listen to you. And she said she stole that from Clint Eastwood. <laughs> but um, mm -hmm. but I, I, I found that really powerful, you know, and I think uh, because Marcus's part is written very low in my, in my register, um, I tend to, when I do sing in the show, it's, it's more of a medium, you know, medium voce kind of thing. And then the audience has to kind of list, has to pay a little bit more attention to hear what I'm saying. Um, and I, and I, and I, I lean into that a little bit. I really do. Uh, and I'll, I'll just say that I find that this show has, is such a blessing of an opportunity for me in the sense that like you mentioned, there's so the show changes very, very frequently uh, in terms of the style 
of the songs and um, whether it's a dance party vibe versus whether it's a more serious tone. And I love that every, for me, every single song, there's a through line, but the through line is all, in my mind, the through line is seen through the eyes of the audience, but I don't necessarily often feel it within me because I feel like there's, it's, you know, over 40 years and in 90 minutes, it's hard to have a thread that connects every song to the next song in terms of my emotional journey. So I feel like I'm popping in at these different points. It almost feels like the switching of a channel on a TV station. Like I get to sing one song that's very um, Disney princess-like at the beginning. And then there it goes into this R&B duet, you know, with, with Nino Aquino. And I just, and then it, it, it kind of changes. It becomes more pop. And then it becomes more traditional musical theater. And and then seven years, I don't even know what to call that. <laughs> There's so many styles happening. Um, and the audience is taken on this ride that as an artist, I am I feel like I can only give them the exact moment that I'm in fully. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to to craft the transitions of what's happening. I mean, the transitions are happening when I'm off stage in a quick change, sprinting around from one side of the theater to the next. <laughs> so that's a lot of the lights and the sound cues and the stage is moving all around. Um, but I'm giving like little glimpses as we go through the decades. And for me, the shift is happening vocally, physically, and intentionally in terms of what she wants. That's where I come, how I come to it. I mean, I I love that point that you're discussing there in terms of over the course of 40 years and finding those different endpoints, because it is such a unique task to play a character over 40 years, but within 90 minutes and to have to make such rapid adjustments in terms of where you're taking her. And so how did you set about finding what are going to be those slight turning points and changes in terms of the emotional fabric of the character or even the way that she carries herself scene to scene because it's very different from when she's 20 to when she's in her 40s, for example. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of physical changes, a lot of vocal changes and a lot of in dis- it's a lot of discovery in figuring out for myself where are the moments in the show where there is a confluence of costume and lyric that when they when this jacket goes on and this lyric is said that in my mind that means that I've transformed so I really took it from you know the piece that we got and and then made choices from there And similarly for you, Jose, as well, again, there's so many kind of shifts and evolutions in terms of your character and who he is when we meet him at the beginning and then who he becomes with the choices that he makes in trying to hold on to power. And so similarly, how did you set about finding those different windows and those different parts of his journey? You know, it's funny. I, 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 you know, as actors always play that game, like what, what, what happens to my character? What, what changes when, when, when does a shift happen? Um, and I, to be honest, I, I struggled for a little bit trying to understand, particularly in, in the confines of the decades of our show, where my Marcos, where my character changes. And Clint, for the first time, I was talking about with Clint Ramos, our producer and, and costume designer, and also with Alex Timbers. 
I don't think Marcos changes at all in this show, you know, and, 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 and I have to give myself license to do that, to, to acknowledge that in that he is a device. Number one, we are looking at Imelda story, right? We are, we are seeing Marcos through the prism of Imelda's experiences. So I think um, it's allowed me to, to not necessarily search for like, what, when does he shift? You know, he was always a womanizer and he was always this strong man who, oh, it was the most important thing for him to put up this, this image of power and strength. Um, and what changes in the story for him is not in his control. It's when he gets sick and he gets taken out of commission, basically. And he's in, his, he's in a hospital bed and he's had basically his power stripped from him by this woman who he thought he could control. Um, and so that to me was, is the biggest shift in the show is when he acknowledges, well, he doesn't even acknowledge it. He's kind of in denial about it, that he's still in power. He thinks he's still in power, but he's really not. And he's screaming at her and lying in, 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 a, in a hospital bed and she's the one in control. Um, it's a beautiful moment in the show, actually, you know, to see this, this like powerful man who thinks he's still powerful, but he's lying in bed and this woman has basically taken over. Um, it's, and then it's a fascinating, that's a, that's a fascinating shift in the storytelling when Imelda literally takes control of the show. Um, at that point, we're kind of a partnering, a pair. And then from that moment on, she's on her own. Um, and he's barely seen until the end of the show. And when he gets sick, it's it's kind of a, a minute logistical thing that I was in, really interested in, because even just in watching your performance, there's such a difference between standing up and engaging in choreography and kind of just the breath work that goes into something like that versus singing a number where you're physically laying down because your body and your lungs are sitting differently. And so what are the elements that go into that number for you that are different to the rest of the show? I appreciate our props department who made me this beautiful triangular foam pillow <laughs> that basically <laughs> this posturepedic uh, triangle pillow that allows me to lay, looks like I'm laying down, but I'm really kind of elevated like a like a like a posturepedic bed. Um, God, God bless Broadway prop masters and and designers who I didn't I didn't ask for it, but they they knew I would want it, and they they showed up to tech one day and had it. Um, no, like it's actually one of the also it's one of the one of the higher things for me in the show. It's in the upper part of my register, and and I take that too. I I take that. Um, I like I said before that most of my show takes place in my lower register, and that and in and in this moment in the show when he's basically begging Amelda to come back and 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 still be with him, he's yelling and he's singing in a higher part of his voice, and to me it shows weakness that he's that he's pleading with her in a very. Um, kind of vulnerable part of his voice for the first time in the show. Um, and he's begging her basically, and he's begging her to come, come and protect him because he can't do it on his own. So it's, it's, uh, again, I, it's, this is, again, my, uh, I benefit from 12 years of, I didn't, I didn't have these discoveries 12 years ago. Do you know what I mean? This is, this is all stuff that, um, I've allowed myself to acknowledge and sit in and rediscover with this production, which is really powerful stuff as, as an actor to be able to rediscover things that you thought you knew, or maybe I did it when I approached it 10 years ago, it was in, it was in, in a different way, but now I'm approaching it in that way this, this time around. And I also wanted to ask both of you just about 
the elements of the choreography and the staging of the show coming together during the development process, because it's the most intricate choreography and, and stage setup I've ever witnessed for any show ever, because it's not just a case of you're coming on stage left or you're coming on stage right. You're moving between the levels up to the mezzanine and down the stage in the center is moving sometimes while you're doing choreography. Um, and so I was just interested in working with Alex Timbers, who's your director and Annie Parson, who's the choreographer on the show in really figuring out how to tell a story, but also thinking very specifically about the logistical elements throughout that journey as well. Well, we had we were very lucky because we were rehearsing in a space that was large enough to fit the entire set. So we were actually rehearsing in the basement of a church. <laughs> and it happens to be the same room where the Rockettes actually perform rehearse for their show as well. It's a humongous space. And so we actually had the set that was used in Seattle, I believe. Right. And so it was the same dimensions pretty much except you know maybe a few feet smaller than what we have here in the Broadway theater but we were rehearsing and given weeks of time to find out what is the spacing in this number how far do i have to travel in this amount of time and figuring out with alex timbers uh, where how to really incorporate every as much of the audience as we can in every single direction that we can, because they are literally all around us. Yeah. Um, so we were really fortunate to have that. And I really loved watching Alex Timbers work with Annie B and their relationship and how they they really work so well together. Uh, and, and how Annie B's choreography translates so beautifully and so well with the with the songs and with the staging that we have here, uh, it is completely unlike any other choreography in any Broadway show I've ever seen. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Annie's, Annie's language in the show um, and having benefited from seeing the, the beginning ideas that happened in 2011 with the first staging of the first 11, eight songs. And she, you know, it's a combination of you know, she took David Byrne, you know, she's been choreographing for David Byrne's concerts for, for decades. She took body language that he had and she created dance movement from them. Um, and, and then on top of that added language that was um, so specific, but also that, that have kind of like, um, uh, kind of physical meaning. And, and, and she's a very physical, a choreographer where in the sense that she thinks bodies need to express the emotion of what the song is saying and and um and and like ariel said we rehearse in the space that was fit out just so we can understand what it's like to, to stand on four foot four foot high <laughs> platforms all the time but nothing could have prepared us to, uh, for coming into the theater you know and and being able to having to play to the 600 seats that are in the balcony that we that none of us had ever experienced before even the people who were part of the show 10 years ago and the amount of work that alex did to reshape the show so that we were reading so that people in the in, in the balcony seats were having just as interactive an experience as the people on the dance floor is a real testament to the workshop process and to the collaboration that he has with Annie B and with David and with our crew and with the set that with David Corins and the lighting designers and 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 just it's it was a very uh concise uh, and quick but um but big decisions had to be made like okay we're, we're putting this song we're cutting the song on the that was on the floor and we're going to put it up in the balcony 
and we have two days to tech it and let's do it. It could be terrible, but thankfully it wasn't. And it was exactly, and he made all these right choices in the four weeks we had of, uh, of previews that were all huge blocking changes that literally were like, okay, we're, we're taking this song that was here and we're gonna put it over here. In the, and that in, took a lot of redesigning for the lighting and the staging and the backstage choreography and, and uh, yeah, like costume changes. Because like, because so many people in the in the cast, um, particularly Ariel and most of our ensemble, they go through like five second costume changes backstage, and yeah. then suddenly they have to go from one place of the stage to another. That is a literal like sixty second walk to get there, but a costume change has to happen somewhere between there. So it's yeah. Stuff like that, like it's the logistics of the of the theater is of our set is um, is genius and and uh, absolutely staggering. Um, <laughs> it's that we that like I, I I'm gonna my my husband says that I should try to uh, uh, sneak a Fitbit into my costume to see how many steps I take during the show. <laughs> it's it's pretty. I mean, Ariel is the one who probably makes the most steps. She's she's the one basically lapping around the theater like for for like the entire ninety minutes, um, mm -hmm. logging a lot of steps. Basically, it's a lot. I mean, I think I only have maybe a ten or fifteen second break where I'm actually just sitting in a chair, but the rest <laughs> of the ninety minutes, I am nonstop. You're on stage or changing or going to a different location. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. And there, there's something else, Ariel, in terms of the, the movement and the choreography of your character that I wanted to ask you about, because kind of going back to what you were talking about at the beginning with that idea of not wanting to create a carbon copy, but finding elements. Um, I've heard you speak about the fact that there are some elements of Imelda's dance movement that came from studying and watching footage of her dancing in real life. And so I was interested in what were the aspects and choices that you made based on that observation? Yeah, so we have this song called Please Don't, which is the biggest dance number in the show. It's after Imelda has taken power and is the de facto leader of the Philippines because Marcos um, has gotten sick. And yeah. uh, so there's this footage that you see when you're watching the show and it's happening on the screens all around us in the theater and you can see Imelda doing this flick of the wrist with her arms in the air. And so Annie B took that exact choreography and made it part of the choreography that I do and that some of the other dancers are doing in that song. I just love the, uh, the, the almost like the, um, there's an exuberance to it, but there's also like a carefree, like nothing bothers me, nothing can get to me attitude about it. And I think I really, I took that a lot into the personality and the expression of how Imelda has gotten to this place where nothing can penetrate her. Nothing. She is on top of the world. And I think that choreography really does lend itself to that idea of just feeling on top of the world. Like it, it, everything is in right in the world now and I'm on top of it. <laughs> well, there's an aloofness um, too. It's like an aloofness. Yeah, there is an aloofness to it as well. I also um, took a lot of inspiration from knowing that she was called the Iron Butterfly. Because to me, there's a lot that can be taken physically from that phrase, knowing that there is this elegance to her, this gracefulness to her, but there's a stern quality and a powerful groundedness at the same time. So that also fed a lot into how I change physically throughout the show.
And then for you, Jose, I wanted to ask about the interaction that you have not only with the audience, but also with the live cameras that are part of the show as well, because when he's on his political campaign, we have cameras that are following you as you're walking through the crowd, kind of talking to the the nation, which is the audience in that that moment. And you're also physically interacting and pulling different people into the frame with you along the way. Um, But I think it's such a fascinating performance element because you're performing all the way to the rafters and then you're also performing to a camera that's projecting these very intimate portrayals of you throughout the theater at the same time. It's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great exercise in, um, uh, as a theater actor to use my TV and film acting uh, classes, you know, <laughs> in, uh, when, when you're, when you're playing a camera, the, the slightest eyebrow lift and the smallest gesture of your face can read huge. Uh, particularly if I know that my, my face is going to be broadcast in the theater, and it's going to be five feet tall. Um, it's, it's a, it's a great tool. Um, I think, uh, I, I constantly am referring to my job and Ariel's job for the first half of the show is to seduce the audience. And uh, my first, my entrance song is when I'm looking for my perfect can, my perfect running mate. Um, I'm seducing the crowd, looking for her and, and trying to find a woman who can, can, can live up to my expectation of what my wife should be. And um, the seduction that we use in that camera holding and, and then, um, and even in our election, campaign when we're using the cameras to to, pr- to present ourselves as this perfect couple. And um, I, I kind of mansplain things to her for the first speech, but then she learns quickly and and takes control herself. And the second one, all of that is picked up with the cameras. And mm-hmm. it's as an actor, it's 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 so uh, comforting to especially as a, as a stage actor, because obviously we're taught that you have to play to the back of the house and we do. But knowing that the cameras are on us at that moment, we're able to really play with each other and know that it's going to read um, if we're doing it right with each other. And we can do even the slightest looks to each other and knowing that that it's being picked up to the back of the house. Um, it's, it takes it's a an, yeah, I think it's, it, does, it takes an immense amount of trust, yeah. trust in yeah. our in our ability to convey these moments in right. the small, subtle ways. Right. But it's a gift, right? Like it's it's very rarely do we get to to use our use that kind of tiny acting choices, knowing that it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna read out to the back of the house. And and lastly, for both of you, in in terms of any show, there's always things that you're finding within your character, within your performance, and little adjustments and evolutions from the first performance as you continue. But for a show like this, I imagine that there's even more so of that because of the interactive that you're having with the audience and the fact that you know how the audience engages with you is probably very different night to night show to show and that can bring out different things within the performance itself and so for both of you what have been some of those kind of minute elements of evolution or adjustment that you found along the way from when you did your first performance to this point I don't know that I I don't know that so much changes in terms of um the what Imelda is wanting from moment to moment and but I do think as an artist it's surprising and wonderful when I speak in Tagalog and I can hear whether people are responding or not whether they understood what we said (laughs) I always could guess how many Filipinos we have (laughs) it's a real litmus test right the second she screams this Filipino first word this, uh, we can instantly hear how many Filipinos are in the audience who understand that curse word. Um, and I was actually going to bring up the same thing where it's, it's 
uh, it, I don't want to say it shifts our performance, but it definitely creates a different room when there are a lot of Filipinos in the room. Um, it's a very personal story about the Philippines and our, and our traumatic history of martial law. Uh, but there's also a lot of Filipino humor in the show that specifically Filipinos will, under, will, will get and understand. Um, and that's always me is, is heartwarming. Just, just two days ago, actually, a friend of mine, um, I grew up in, in Virginia. Um, she had a friend who, she's not Filipino, but she had a friend who's Filipino and brought her daughter to see my show. And I don't know these people at all. Um, but she's like, would it be great if you send her a little video message? And she's this eight-year-old little girl. And so I sent her a little video message and her father, who brought her to the show two nights ago, sent me this so thoughtful email um, saying, you know, I don't know you, you're, we have a friend in common, um, but I brought my daughter to see your show because I wanted her to see Filipinos on stage, on, on a Broadway stage, and it just meant so much to me. Um, and I'm sure he was one of the people that laughed at the, at the Filipino curse word <laughs> that his <laughs> mother yelled at him a couple of times as a kid like mine. So... <laughs> I think it's it's uh, it's heartwarming, um, and it just it just brings home the fact that uh, this story is very important uh, to our Filipino history. I also want to say that it's been enlightening and inspiring and uplifting when I meet people in the audience, or I get messages afterwards from people who are not Filipino, who have also who feel so who feels like related to this history because it reminds them of their own culture. Like last night I, I was meeting these Puerto Ricans who were talking about their complicated relationship with America. And I was talking, this man was writing me online who is African-American and as a black man, he felt so, you know, like he was seeing something, this story playing out in our show that was devastating and powerful and important. And it really resonated with him and he's not Filipino. Right. So I love moments like that because it is such a universal story and an important one for a lot of the world. Absolutely. I love that. Well, it really is just one of the most unique experiences that I've ever had going to a Broadway show. And, um, you know, I was absolutely in awe of both of your performances. So thank you so much to both of you for talking about the show and, and how you crafted them today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much.